And now, the time fight fans all across the globe have been waiting for. It's the MTMV main card with your man, The Voice. As always, let's start off with some headlines and hot takes. It's official. Golden Boy MMA is a thing. It's been bandied about. We know that Oscar De La Hoya signed for his MMA promotional license in California recently, but the card has been made. The headlining fighters have passed their physicals and looks like it's going to happen. Now, Tito Ortiz said in a interview recently that the contract for what he was going to receive, at least the baseline, was a lot lower than what he would normally make. But Oscar De La Hoya thinks that things are going to be much different because the headliners will have multiple streams of income. They'll be making money on the gate, pay-per-view, merch, etc. This is MMA, though, and it's not boxing. In boxing, you can have a great headliner and no one even know who's on the undercard or care about that because it's all about the headlining fight. Now, unless you're talking about a fight uh, with Connor or GSP in MMA, the headliner alone is generally not going to sell the pay-per-view. It's not going to get people in the door to watch the fight. And especially when you have headliners who are in the Hall of Fame, <laughs> but still coming out and fighting and are well past their prime, I don't know. To borrow a phrase from Bellator's chief, Scott Coker, if he's truly a free agent, Golden Boy needs to be in hot pursuit of Eddie Alvarez. Golden Boy actually missed a golden opportunity, pardon the pun, when Chandler resigned with Bellator a couple weeks back. Alvarez Chandler 3 is a fight that those who love MMA and love combat sports including myself have been clamoring for for years now Oscar keeps saying I'm I'm working on some things I'm working on some people you're going to be surprised by who else is on this card Scott Coker and Bellator have been known to partner with other promotions in the past if he's wise and wants to be successful in this first foray into MMA and doesn't want this to be a one-off, partnering with Bellator and using some of their talent to help prop up the card is the way to go. Now, speaking of Chandler and Bellator, the current lightweight champion, Brent Premise called Chandler out earlier this week on social media and called uh, this God-fearing man something other than a child of God and said sign the contract. Now, Premise may be doing this in order to keep his name in the mix because to me, it doesn't seem like Chandler's scared to fight him seeing as he did sign to fight him in April in his hometown. So don't think that Chandler is ducking him. 
he may be looking for something bigger and better. Uh, I know that he has spoken about fighting at 170 pounds and maybe he's angling to be an alternate in the welterweight tournament that's coming up. I don't know, uh, but it seemed real interesting. I should say it was very intriguing to see that call out by premise earlier this week, especially saying sign the contract, especially with Chandler just signing back on with Bellator and not being a person who really runs from fights. I don't see him running from premise. All right. Talked about it last week and the saga continues between Cowboy and Jackson Wink. Since the video went viral, at least among the MMA community, when Cowboy was on Joe Rogan Experience last week, Misha Tate since then has come out and siding with Cowboy, saying that he does need to do his own thing. He does need to uh, go out and, and take care of himself and that it's wrong and Jackson Wink should have stood beside him and told Perry to go somewhere else for this fight camp and train. And that's understandable. Even Perry, as he spoke on Ariel Helwani's show this week, he talked about how he trains with some people who train out at the uh, BMF ranch when they're there at Jackson Wink. And it's just, it would just be messy if um, Perry was training there and Cowboy continued to just train by himself at Jackson Wink because, you know, who knows the people who are there at Jackson Wink who go out to the BMF ranch could be taking information out to him. You know, it's just, it's messy. It's a really sticky situation. I understand Misha siding with Cowboy because she is now a representative of fighters. She manages fighters. And at least at one point, but may still be under the same management because Kevin Harvick, NASCAR great, manages Cowboy Cerrone. And during her fighting career, he also managed Misha Tate. And again, may still be her management. I don't know. But it makes sense for her to side with him because they do have common interests. Diego Sanchez, who jumped in things last week, has come back out and is like, regardless of the outcome between Cerrone and Perry, he wants to fight Cowboy. As I shared in last week's episode, Jackson Wink has shown in the past that they are willing to witch, to uh, hitch their wagon to the fighter with the most potential. This is why Rashad Evans left, because they went with John Jones. This is why when Carlos Condit fought GSP to unify the welterweight title, that New Mexico's own left Jackson Wink, at least for the camp, and went and trained at Keith Jardine's gym. It's clear that Cowboy is riding off into the sunset of his career, while the 26-year-old Platinum seems like his is just beginning to shine. And with a proven track record of leaving the old and or the one who may seem not to have the greater upside for the one that does, don't know what Cowboy was really looking for. 
All right, the PFL is off this month. They entered into uh, their kind of buy period, letting everyone prepare uh, their bodies and their minds for the playoffs, which are going to be bananas. It's going to be bananas. Every two weeks, you'll have all kind of fights going on, eight fights, and... And and not just eight fights. You have eight fighters and you have people fighting twice in a night. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. Uh, It's like watching a a train wreck. I don't know if it's going to be a train wreck uh, or to coin a phrase that Platinum Perry used a beautiful death. Either way it goes, I've got to see it. And I'm looking forward to them coming back in October. Uh, they'll be in the Big Easy to launch their playoffs. Now, the Bearded Wonder and I talked about the Upstart organization as well as recap UFC Lincoln on the newest episode of Aftermath, which is the companion podcast to the main card. Main card gives you headlines, hot takes, and previews, while Aftermath gives you the week that was in MMA. So make sure you check it out wherever you get your podcast. Up next, the old one, two. Get ready to step into the squared circle for the old one, two. Picking back up with some golden boy talk. When Oscar De La Hoya was on Ariel Helwani's show this week, he said that promotion for Golden Boy MMA will really pick up after, and understandably so, Triple G and Canelo, which takes place next week. Oh, man, I can't wait to see that fight. Just announced recently that when they fight, it will be for the vacant ring title that's right it'll be on the line as well as whatever other titles out there that may be associated with this fight now if you're not familiar with the ring title the ring title is the oldest title that's out there uh started with ring magazine goes all the way back like to jack johnson's days and and all of that goodness it is a lineal title so it goes from fighter to fighter that's the only way that you can get that belt now ring has made some changes in the way that they do things over the years and the title is actually vacant so that's kind of difficult how can you have a vacant lineal title because it has to go from fighter to fighter well canelo picked it up after he beat Cotto back in 2015 Ring stripped him of that after he failed the drug test. Uh, and that's why it's vacant. So the winner of this fight will pick up the belt. Now, Air on Ariel's show, Oscar said that he believes that this will be among the top three pay-per-views in the history of boxing. He said because of the beef between Triple G and Canelo, pardon the pun, that this is going to do huge numbers. 
Now, this year is definitely the biggest fight that can be made and that will be made, bar none. Is there a lot of hype coming with it? Yes. Is there more drama now because of the fact that this fight was called off and Canelo was cheating and now Triple G feels like he's been doping the whole time? Yes. Does that make it more exciting? Yes, it does. Does it make it something that people want to see? Absolutely. All of the boxing and combat sports world will be focused squarely on this event. Biggest event in combat sports this year. Is it big enough to get close to May Mac? Who knows? Is it big enough to supersede Mayweather Pacquiao? Mm, That seems like a stretch. Will it be the best selling card of the year? Probably. Looking forward to it either way that it goes. Now, if you're looking to see some more boxing before the big fight next week, you have your choice of cards to watch. So, in Englewood, California, you have Donnie Nitez taking on Aston Pol- uh, yes, Polis something that I'm not pronouncing very well. This will be on HBO, though. 12 rounds for the junior bantamweight title, uh, the vacant WBO title specifically. Co-main event for that car, you got Juan Francisco Estrada, who is ranked number one as a junior bantamweight, taking on Felipe Orukuta. And that will be a 12-round affair. On Showtime, on the opposite end of the U.S., in Brooklyn, baby, you got Danny Garcia, who's ranked number five, taking on Sean Porter, ranked number four. This will be a 12-round championship affair for the vacant WBC welterweight title, the green belt that Floyd Mayweather made so famous. On that undercard, or I should say that co-main event, has another welterweight 12-round affair with your Dennis Ugas taking on Cesar Barri-Nuevo. All right, that's it. Time to step out of the squared circle. Up next, a preview of this week's MMA pay-per-view. UFC 228 takes place this Saturday. 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 I was sorry. I had to uh, give a throwback. Uh, shout out and salute to all the monster truck fans. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't help myself. But it takes place this Saturday at American Airlines Arena in Dallas, Texas. Yes. The house that Mark Cuban built. And this is the underdog champions card outside of Jermaine Durandamy, who had a cup of coffee with a featherweight belt. Tyron Woodley 
is one of the most disrespected and by far since DJ lost his belt, the most underappreciated champ in the UFC. The only champion with less clout is women's inaugural flyweight champ, Nico Montano. And unfortunately for Nico, the women's division, as far as the inaugural champs are concerned, yeah, only one woman has defended her crown in the UFC. And that was recent Hall of Fame inductee, Ronda Rousey. Carla Esparza lost to Joanna Jancic in her first outing as champion. Hasn't come close to a shot at the title since then. I already spoke about Jermaine Durandamy, who had a cup of coffee with the featherweight belt, was stripped of it because she never planned on fighting at 145 pounds again. She just did it hoping that it would open up a door for her to fight for the bantamweight title. But before all that happened, everybody viewed Cyborg as an uncrowned champ. Anyway, it was like, how are you going to have a fight for a 145-pound belt for women and Cyborg not be in the fight? Cyborg uh, was going through some different things with uh, fighting a USADA suspension, couldn't fight. They made that between Durandamy and home and Durandamy became the champion. Then soon thereafter was no longer the champ. Since the flyweight division has been created for women, Valentina Shevchenko has held the same place in the hearts and minds of MMA fans that Cyborg did at 145 pounds. People have viewed her as the champ and said, until someone beats her, that's really who we believe is a champion at this division. And on Saturday, we'll find out whether or not that's true. Again, the card is headlined by a welterweight title fight between the champ, 18-3-1, and one. Tyron, the chosen one, Woodley, who will be taking on undefeated 17-0-1, Darren the Gorilla Till. As I stated, Till is undefeated in 18 fights. The only people with longer unbeaten streaks fighting today are champions. You have the aforementioned Chris Cyborg, who only lost in her first bout since then has run off 21 straight and the eagle Khabib Nurmagomedov will be taking on Conor McGregor next month and on top of all this as far as Till is concerned now though you know he's got that streak and is in that company his last win that's debatable I saw the fight I feel like Wonderboy won the fight uh the Judges didn't see it that way, and others, including Tyron Woodley himself, don't see it that way. I think he got some home cooking, too, because he was fighting at home in Liverpool, England, and has a major drawing power and just presence there. Ten of the Gorillas' wins have been by KO. But only two of those have been in the UFC. He's had about six fights 
uh, out of his 17, or I should say out of his 18, have been in the UFC. The rest of the fights that he's had have been decisions with the exception of that one draw. So actually, I'm sorry, I think that seven of his fights have been in the UFC. Either way it goes, outside of those two knockouts, the rest have been decisions or that draw. And Till, leading up to this fight, got in hot water with the public in general by making statements about his laser-like focus as far as the title is concerned. Going so far as to say he hasn't seen his daughter who lives in Brazil in about a year and he's not thinking about her. His uh, girlfriend is pregnant, got a child on the way, isn't concerned about them. The only thing he's concerned about is getting the title. Again, when he said it, it didn't come off quite like he wanted it to because it made him seem real jerky. Like, I don't care about my kids. I don't care about anybody. You know, I'm, I'm just focused on my fight, which is understandable as a fighter. You have to have that kind of focus. But to say it, yeah, that's another story. Now, across the cage from him will be Tyron the Chosen One Woodley, who has made it very clear that he fights to provide the kind of future for his children that he did not have. I was watching Embedded, and in the first episode, he's getting up, getting his toddler daughter out of bed, brushing her teeth. It's like the exact opposite of what Tiller said. He's all about his family, uh, getting them together, getting them out to begin the day, and then going and working out. In some of the other episodes, he's running on the treadmill in the basement so the kids can play around, play uh, video games, play on the uh, basketball, pop a shot, you know, ride the little bikes and stuff, and be around him while he is training. So in the blue corner, you have this young, hungry lion who has forsaken the world and everything coming against in the red corner a battle-tested king looking to retain his crown knowing that losing the title means a change in lifestyle for his family means that he may or may not be able to provide for them in the way that he provides now meaning that the things he wants to do for them he may not be able to do oh the entry now, one thing that is a bit concerning, at least about his speech, kind of like with what Till said about his family, but on a different level, Tyron said that he was upset and he was looking to prove a point in this fight. He was looking to remind the people of the Tyron Woolley who was knocking everybody's heads clean off their shoulders and being hailed as the most explosive fighter in MMA. I don't know if that's a good idea. People who fight angry generally don't do very well. But the only people I know that fight well angry are the Diazes. And um, yeah, I, I just don't know if that's a good look for Tyron. However, listening to him talk after the open workouts this week, he sounded like the same hungry Tyron who told the media 
that he was going to prove that he was the best welterweight in the world before taking on and taking out Robbie Lawler. Saturday night, he'll get a chance to prove it or his way of living will be lost to a rising star with a nation behind him in Darren Till. The co-main event, as I shared earlier, is another title fight. You got Nico Montano coming in at four and two, taking on 15 and three, Valentina Bullet Shevchenko for the women's flyweight belt. Nico Montano might as well have the nickname of Rodney Dangerfield because she gets no respect. Much of that, though, has to do with her experience. She started as an amateur just five short years ago and has only been pro for three years, starting her pro career in 2015. In that time, she's only averaged two professional fights a year. And when she entered the tough house, she was one fight above 500, one. However, her Cinderella story was written right there in front of the world on tough. And she did it by beating vets like Barb Honshak, Lauren Murphy, and then for the title against the number one seed and darling of MMA, Roxanne Mataferi. In an article with Stephen Morocco of MMA Junkie, Nico Montano talked about using her platform to advance Native American causes. She was like, I, I really don't care about the title. I, that's insignificant in comparison to the things I really want to do. She wants to inspire the people of the Navajo Nation, which she's a part of. She is the first and only Native American champion that the UFC has ever had. And like I said, she wants to use that platform to champion those causes and to serve as an ambassador and an example of what other Navajo people can be and can aspire to. To quote her, she said, this fight is so superficial as far as what the real battles are. She said, there are children out there who don't get the Western culture of school and they get patronized for it or families who just live off the simple necessities of the earth and they get patronized and told they're living in poverty. Using those terms are not at all what we're doing. We're being simple. We're not stripping the earth until it's bare, until there's nothing left. These are the words of a passionate person who's looking to change the way that the world looks at Native Americans. And having the title will give her more opportunities to do that. But each fight for the champ gets harder and harder, and her first title defense is no different. Valentina Shevchenko has lost only a handful of times, three times. 
two of them to the same person, which is Bantamweight champ Amanda Nunez. Once for the title, which that one was pretty clear that she lost. It was a good, close fight, but it was pretty clear that she lost. I believe it was a split decision, but again, she didn't quite do enough to win that fight. However, the first time they met, I remember watching that fight, and I don't know how they gave that fight to Amanda Nunez because Shevchenko was doing her thing. Valentina comes from a family of martial artists. She is a lifelong martial artist. And she will be facing a champion who's entering the octagon for only the seventh time as a professional. This is why Montano is a severe underdog in this fight. And another reason that there's so much intrigue with this matchup. Now, with all that backstory, you would think that this is the Voices Marquee matchup, but it's not. I try to stay away from title fights because they have their own storylines like what I just talked about. As of late, the UFC has been using the third fight on the pay-per-view as a spotlight for rising talent. And this card is no different as 15 and 1, Zabit, Zabist, Megamid Sharapov will be taking on 9 and 4, Brandon Killer B. Davis at 135 pounds, which is the Bantamweight limit. He was supposed to be fighting other star, or I should say someone who the UFC had tagged as a potential star in Yair Rodriguez, but Yair pulled out due to injury and seemingly before that had been ducking Zabit. So uh, not saying that he used this as an opportunity to get out the fight, but just seemed a little questionable. Hopefully they'll see each other down the road because that would be a phenomenal fight. Now, Davis, he trains with people like Chase Sherman and Hick Diaz. That's right. I said Hick Diaz, Jason the Kid Knight, out of Allen Belcher's MMA in Mississippi. A Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series alone. Davis has alternated between losses and wins since joining the world leader in MMA. And he needs a victory just for the ability to possibly stay in the fold. At one and three, yeah, it's a done deal for him. Zabit, on the other hand, as I stated before, he has stardom written all over him and it's been getting a push from the USC, really on a fast track. He is a true mixed martial artist in every sense. This man has wrestling, grappling, high-level striking, including some spinning techniques, and he strings them all together so seamlessly. Anytime the beat fights, it's must-see TV. But it's not the Voices Marquee matchup. That honor goes to the second fight on the card, which pits 12-2, and two, Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Versus 18 and 6, Jessica Bate Estaca Entourage. If you have heard me gush, I mean cover one of Cool Carolina's fights before, you know that I love me 
some Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Her style is a style like none other. And when I say style, I'm talking about her personality. She just exudes confidence and coolness. I mean, the way she leans on the cage uh, in between rounds and at the beginning of the fight, I mean, it's it's a sight to behold. It's a sight to behold. And then when she gives that flirtatious wink, when the announcer calls her name, oh my goodness, it yeah, just melts your heart. On top of that, her striking prowess is probably second only to Joanna and Trachek at 115 pounds. On the other side of the cage, though, Andrage is a beast, an absolute beast, and has been on a tear since dropping down the straw weight from bantamweight in 2016 she's gone five and one in that time only losing to joanna champion in a title fight bate estaka will have the size and strength advantage while carolina the polish pugilist is a more polished striker now try saying that three times fast if kovakiewicz can employ the same kind of game plan that Joanna used and weather the storm, she can win. Otherwise, she's going to succumb to the monsoon that is Entourage. Earlier this week, I saw an article by Dan Heisergel and it was dealing with fighter pay. Jessica Andrage is who he was interviewing. Andrage said, hey, I'm happy with how the UFC pays me. I'm really happy. And when I saw this article, before I got through it, I was like, wait a minute. Andrade lives in Brazil, and I know that the US dollar is worth more than the Brazilian race, which is their currency. It's like, how is she having money problems? But she is. She talked about how when the fights are over, she sells her gear to make ends meet. So she'll sell her gloves. She'll sell her fight kit. She'll sell her shorts, possibly even the shoes and things that they get. But she'll sell those things just to make ends meet. On top of that, her family will get together and make cakes and stuff to sell to make ends meet too. Come on, man. You're a professional fighter who's fought for the championship and your family's baking cakes to get by much of what she was talking about was and like she said she's happy with what the UFC is doing she just wishes that more of the corporations in Brazil would get behind some of the fighters she was like even if I could get 500 rice from a sponsor that would be nice because it helps at the end of the month 500 rice is worth about 120 US dollars. We're talking about less than $1,500 a month, not a month, in a year's time that she will be happy to have to try to make ends meet. That's a problem. I'm sorry. I know she wasn't trying to talk about the UFC, but that screams issues if you're looking for that paltry amount from a sponsor to ensure that you can train properly between fights. 
Now, the fight that opens up the pay-per-view main card pits 91 Abdul Judo Thunder Razak Al Hassan versus 12 and 1 Nico the Hybrid Price. This will be contested at welterweight. And the hybrid's only loss came at the hands of Hard Knock 365's Vincente Luque about a year ago. He got submitted. Since then, he's added a submission and a KO to his record that has only one decision in those 12 fights. That decision came after six straight TKOs. That's the kind of game that the hybrid brings to the cage on Saturday night. Now, with a nickname like Judo Thunder, you know what Al Hassan wants to do. Judo Thunder, grappling, you know what he wants to do. He wants to knock you out. <laughs> Al Hassan's, or I should say, Razak Al Hassan's um, power is crazy. Told you he was 9 and 0. Every single win that he has had has been by KO. The only time he went to a decision was when he lost. So, with 15 knockouts between them, expect an all action stand up affair in the curtain jerker. Fight fans. Due to some technical difficulties, a number of you didn't get a chance to hear the main card last week. On it, I created a preview for one championships beyond the horizon. Fortunately, the fight doesn't happen until the 8th of September, so the information is still valuable, and I want to make sure that you hear about it. So I'm going to insert last week's preview for your listening pleasure. Check it out. One championship will touch down in Shanghai, China on September the 8th for Beyond the Horizon. Headlining this card will be one's strawweight champion, China's own, the panda, Jiang Jingna who's 15 and one, taking on 12, five and one, Samara Maratuba Santos. All but four of the 15 wins that the Panda has have come by KO. And she only has three decisions in her career. Now, it's understandable for Xiang to be a KO queen because boxing is her primary discipline. Santos, on the other hand, not only is she a Muay Thai expert, but three years into her training, she fell in love with the soft, sweet science of jiu-jitsu. Now, her record shows more of a reliance on her striking ability as half her wins due to strikes. One must be having some issues with getting challenges for Jingnan because Santos, yeah, she was on a four fight losing streak before winning her last contest 
and she's making her debut in the organization, taking on the champ. Now, again, either they're having some trouble with getting fighters forging now, or because they are in the champ's home country, they wanted to give her a fighter who had a decent record, but someone she could showcase her skills against and further their cause in China. The co-main event for this card pits 13 and 6 Honorio the Rock Bonario versus 10 and 3 Amir Khan. Now the former 145 pound champ the Rock, oh man, he is rolling and unbeaten since October of 2015. Khan, on the other hand, suffered his first defeat since 2015, this past February. But he did rebound well with a TKO in his last fight a couple months back. The winner of this fight should be in contention for one of Martin Nguyen's championships this one being the lightweight strap since they're both competing at 155 pounds all right fight fans to keep up with mtmv sports formerly trackstar sports where you get the highest quality content from the most informed fans follow us on twitter and instagram New content gets released all the time on anchor.fm. That is the first place where the podcasts are released. From there goes to many different avenues. For Android users, we encourage you to download Podcast Republic because it is a great way to get your podcast once you're there you can subscribe to trackstar sports and new episodes will be ready for your listening pleasure and for ios users you know the drill apple podcast gives you all of that in one spot if you want to talk to your man the voice you can hit me either through any of the mtmv sports channels twitter uh, Instagram, the Debate Fuel Facebook group, all of that. Or you can reach to me directly. My handle for all social media is The Voice. That's T H A V as in Victor, O Y as in Yankee, Z as in Zulu. And that's on everything. So until next time, it's your man, The Voice, host of the MTMV main card and I'm sounding off.